What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks. A podcast that's never made a promise to a dinosaur. But if we did, we'd definitely keep it. It's Sif Pop. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings. We're available to download later in your podcast feed, unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Roar. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and I thought he was the biggest carnivore the world had ever seen. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not that fat. Ahoy! It's <laughs> not what that means. It just means you're a meat eater. That's all it means. I really am. Each week, we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. He's tired of hunting jackals. He's ready to hunt the lion. It's Jonathan Paula, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Woo! hello. How are you? Good to be back. Uh, really excited for today's pair of films. Yeah. I have some strong opinions, and I can't wait to discuss. Opinions <laughs> will be opined. Uh, um, we are today talking about Jurassic World Dominion uh, and uh, RRR uh, on Netflix. That, that, I feel like that title is deliberately a, a, just a practical joke on anyone from Boston because whenever I say it, it's, like, <laughs> uh-uh. ah, it's just going to sound like, are you choking? You have something caught in ah, uh, my throat. It's uh, in the back there. Uh, 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 uh. It's just... Yeah, my, my, my wife's first comment when I loaded it up on Netflix was, oh, is this a pirate movie? uh yes uh, no it is not a pirate movie uh not at least in the the literal specific sense um so yeah we are going to look at those two movies as well as do best ever challenge on goldblum jeff goldblum movies who has had a best goldblums uh prolific career of um stammering his way through movies uh and then we'll (laughs) do some buried treasure at the end as well but let's kick it off with our first movie this week let's take a look at jurassic world dominion life will find a way we can't keep her here forever they find her we're never gonna see her again we gotta protect her that's our job humans and dinosaurs can't coexist we created an ecological disaster Settler. Alan Grant. You didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? You coming or what? 
Four years after Isla Nublar was destroyed, dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. This fragile balance will reshape the future and determine once and for all whether human beings are to remain the apex predators on a planet they now share with history's most fearsome creatures. Uh, Jurassic World is the sixth movie in the Jurassic franchise uh, and brings back many of the Jurassic World people you know and love as well as many of the Jurassic Park people you know and love. Uh, Sam Neill coming back as Alan Grant, Laura Dern coming back as Ellie Sattler, uh, Goldblum back again as Ian Malcolm. He has been in um, you know, a Jurassic World movie before. Uh, and then, of course, you've got Bryce Dallas Howard as Claire, Chris Pratt as Owen, um, and Isabella Sermon as Maisie Lockwood, uh, the human clone that we found out about in the last movie. Uh, so, yeah, dinosaurs roam the Earth once again. What did you guys think about Jurassic World Dominion? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? John, start us off. It was just okay. <laughs> okay. Andrew? I'm going to go with the very lowest possible side of okay that I can. Oh. <laughs> like just stretching the limits of just okay. Like I yeah. just not quite willing to say I didn't like it, but just stretching yeah. those limits. Um yeah, I'm right there with you guys. This is hmm, there's so much mediocre. This is a this is a prototypical perfect Jurassic Park sequel in that it's just like all the others. There are moments I'm like, that's cool, and there are moments I'm like, this movie is dumb. Um, yes. So, yeah, this is this is a lot like the others. Um, but I had a decent enough time at certain parts that I, th- I that I do feel fine just going straight down the middle, just okay. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of this I genuinely enjoyed, and it was great to see the original trio back. But in, in a single word, this movie is a convoluted just mm-hmm. it's just a mess the script is a disaster like there are yeah. so many moving parts there are parts of this especially towards the end where you can like figuratively hear the logistical machinery lumbering mm-hmm. to kind of like get like we need to get eight separate protagonists in the same place at the same time so that so this guy needs to be here and this guy and also the four different antagonists all has to kind of be lined up and it's just there's so much like domino stacking it, it feels almost like a chore, but when they start coming down at the end, it's like, okay, this is really, really fun. No, you're absolutely right. You can feel the sweat on this movie, right? Like you can, like the effort on it is just, yes. is throughout it. And a, a lot of that effort is understandable, but the problem when you're making a movie starting with like the, the, d- the dominoes, like you mentioned that you have to place yeah. Then you're really just making a movie where you're you're trying to problem solve your way from point A to point B, and you can just feel the effort uh, to try to get there, and it doesn't um, all quite work. The other place you feel the sweat on this movie, and uh, I'll you know I guess I'm kind of starting with with negatives here, uh, but the the other place you feel the sweat on this movie is the references. This feels like this movie wants to force in every reference and every reference feels forced, you know, like when yeah. there's a moment where Ellie Sattler takes her glasses off and, you know, in a different context than the first. And it's so clear they were like, okay, match it up exactly how you she, did it she, in the first Her character one. introduction, she steps out of a Jeep and I swear to God, she's wearing the exact same shirt. Yeah. And right. she has it's it that, tied around her waist yep. the exact same. Like, yep. you haven't gotten a new wardrobe in 29 years? Right, you haven't changed as a 
person. You haven't, you know, your idea of what style is for you hasn't changed. Like, you know, um, it just, it makes this assumption that it's going to uh, really like ring our nostalgia bells. And instead what it does is it, I just roll my eyes. I'm just like, I didn't, I didn't need that. That doesn't, that doesn't make the story any better or do anything for me. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it does uh, all that stuff very very poorly. Yeah, if, if convoluted is the first word, the second word I would use to describe is inorganic. Because mm-hmm. nothing happens authentically. Nothing happens out of the script. It happens because it needs to to get the next scene going. Right. Yeah. And it all feels like it's just an expositional uh, chain that doesn't have any real heart or message or point. It's just cogs in a machine to sell, sell, sell. Andrew, like, hey, you guys remember this? You remember this? You remember this? You remember this guy? You remember this guy? You remember yeah, this guy? Yeah. That's the movie for two hours and 26 minutes. And some of it works, but Andrew, feel, uh, you yeah. you liked it less than either of us, so get us out of this negative part and tell us about the positives <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> you know what? I was actually going to say, like, why is it falling on me to, you know, jump? But I do have uh, the biggest pro, I think, for this. Out of every single Jurassic Park movie there's ever been, the effects in this one are above and beyond anything we've ever seen. Like they really I think, they I think some of this, like the the mixture of practical effects with CGI, the detail that we're seeing now, it's 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 pretty impressive, mind blowing. It's yeah. Mind-blowing. I, I did I did read that uh, Colin Trevorrow, the director, utilized something like nineteen or twenty animatronics for this. So it's not it, the dinosaurs are in many places actually real. Uh, which I think is the first time they've used animatronics since the 97, uh, the first Yeah, sequel. I don't think they, uh, no, I, they did use it in Jurassic uh, War, or I mean, Lost World. Yeah, they, as I'm saying, I think it's the first time they've used animatronics, at least in this sequel trilogy since the 90s, uh, yeah. which is great, because I think it, it shows. There's definitely some close-ups uh, and some more detailed shots of the dinosaurs. Like, oh, no, that's that's legit. That's not a computer-generated shadow. That's mm-hmm. a real shadow when you're yeah. really next to it. Um, there are some like sequences, like here's, here's why there's like two things that are keeping me from saying I hated this movie. (laughs) And it's the simple fact that there are a couple sequences where were, that were really cool. And I'm glad that I sat down and I saw it. Like that's, that's what's keeping me from saying like everything else is like, I just, I couldn't stand like, uh, chemistry, like Old guard meeting new guard was so awkward and forced that it didn't work mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think uh, Alan Grant and Claire even share a single line of dialogue, and they are the respective leads of their respective franchises. And I don't. Oh, think that's they interesting. Um, I don't think they do. No, I don't. I don't know that they, they don't do even. Either. They don't even when they when they when we finally get that big team up move moment. They don't even like say hello to each other. It's just yeah. like let's keep running. And that's it. They just have to like slalom between T-Rex legs for the remainder of the movie. Yeah. They never really get a moment to swap stories or just tell each other or just have that moment where us as fans can appreciate like them interacting. Mm-hmm. They, they kind of pair off. So we get a little bit of that. But it, it didn't, to me, feel meaningful or even necessary that we yeah. that they were to Why were they together? Because they just are. Mm-hmm. There speaking wasn't like of, a, a good point for it, you know? Speaking of why, there is a character in this movie. I'll just call her the pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, every sure. single time, where every single time she was on screen or she said something, the only thing that kept popping into my head is, "Who are you?" <laughs> yeah, no, it's just 
And the other one, there, there were two. Uh, there were two new additions to the cast. Um, yeah. that, that felt like pretty, well, pretty obvious corporate diversity hires. Like we need to get more people in this that aren't just old white men. So let's bring these. And I actually liked the new characters, but they were so underdeveloped. It was kind of like, why? Wait, why are you two helping? We don't know anything about you. You're just okay. You're, you're just the new guy, and you're helping. All right. The guy who was helping. Uh Ian Malcolm. I Ram- got yeah. him. Ramsey. I got him. I thought he was cool. Yeah, like, no, I, I, I think both characters are great. I wanted more with them. like, And I think we spent too much time juggling old plot and new group that when we have the new new group, they don't have any time left to be developed. Yeah. Is this the first Jurassic Park movie that is painstakingly trying to focus on everything except dinosaurs? <laughs> it felt like that. It really did. Like, the dinosaurs are just... And, Aaron, you you read the plot at the beginning of this uh-huh. about uh, the, the cohabitation. Earth mm-hmm. has dinosaurs and humans living together. That's not the movie we get. No. They just, they'd shelve that after the first four minutes. Conceptually, get, they we, show us a few shots. And, and, then, and that was cool. Yeah. I and love the like, cold nope, open. We're going to do the park thing again. <laughs> yeah, like within five minutes, it's oh yeah, all the dinosaurs in the wild have already been rounded up. We ha- that happened off screen, and now they're back in a closed off sanctuary away from everyone else. So it's a park. Cool, great. We've done that. They, they yeah. just immediately yanked away the premise and, and the promise of the last movie. The Fallen Kingdom ends with this really evocative shot. Of a raptor overlooking, I think, Burbank or Southern California in any effect. And it's like, whoa, what would that be like if a raptor was loose in SoCal? Well, too bad. You don't get to see that because he's not there. (laughs) Here's what I don't get. Fallen Kingdom ended with 15 dinosaurs getting out of that silo. How do they take over the world? I don't. In four years, life I don't finds know. a way. Life finds a way, <laughs> life, guys. Uh, life uh, yeah. finds a way. No, I'm I'm totally with you. How are they all over the world? How are you know their herds of them uh, at this point? Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's it's. And it's weren't they all still microchipped? How did they? How did they get much further away? Listen, this they franchise should have been up in a week. This franchise threw logic to the wind a long time ago. Oh, yeah. this no, they, is, they, they play really fast and loose with yeah, they're, they're, anything that would curb our enthusiasm. Like, anything that could make the movie more fun happens, regardless of whether or not it's realistic. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, on the good side of things, I actually did enjoy seeing the old cast. I'm not saying, yeah. like, they were great, like you mentioned, with the new cast. But together, they own, were though. great. On their yeah. own, I actually really enjoyed their dynamic. It reminded me, this movie understood what I liked about their dynamic in the first movie. Like, it understood mm-hmm. that yeah. thing where, you know, Alan Grant is both weirded out and also strangely a little jealous of Ian Malcolm. You know, like, oh, there's... The, totally. That and I love that is, angle. Is great. Continuing that thread from 20... Because they haven't shared a movie together. So they've right. been back and forth. This is both... Uh, actually, the original cast, All uh, this is their third movie... For each of them, if you exclude Jeff's very minor bookend cameo mm-hmm. in Fallen Kingdom. So, but this is the first one they've done together uh, on screen, at least Jeff and uh, Sam since 1993. And yeah, I think continuing that little playful rivalry was great. Mm-hmm. And I think all the stuff with Ellie and Alan was fantastic, kind of mm-hmm. watching them rekindle their relationship. That felt genuine and authentic. And that could have been the whole movie, just them without Owen or Claire or any of the new cast. Like, just a straight legacy sequel without any of the new stuff. That would have been Mm -hmm. a fine film. So let's talk about legacy sequels uh, for a second, because we've had a very 
very recent example of one done very, very well uh, with yeah, Top Gun, yeah, yeah. right? And so it, I think it, it behooves us to do a little comparison, to do why does Top Gun work so well and this works so poorly? And I think we've talked about some of those things, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but just in your mind, what makes Top Gun better than this? K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Yep, I th- I think that I, I is a huge say, one. Yeah, I was going to say the plot. The Top Gun has a has a very clear straight line beginning to end. Here's what needs to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Here it happens, and it works because you can follow this script. Is if you had to actually describe the plot and not what the IMDb synopsis wants mm-hmm. us to believe it is, it, it'll take you five minutes. There's just there, it, it's part like conspiracy thriller and it's like an espionage caper. And they go to Malta, and then they go to Italy, and then there's stuff in the sea, and there's kidnappings and clones and genetics and locusts and plagues. It's a complete mess of a story. Way too much uh, going on. And I think the other thing, so the first thing would be, yeah, keep it simple, stupid. And then have the interaction and the pairing of the old and new actually mean something. Watching Maverick interact with Goose's son meant something because yeah. we had a relationship and an understanding of what that would be. There is no point for for Alan uh, and Owen to have a conversation like, "Hey, hey, you're the guy that does this all the time with your hand. Hey, I'm the guy that wears a hat." I like. There's, there's they have nothing in common <laughs> besides the fact they both fought raptors once, and they don't even talk about both fighting raptors. Yeah, uh, we talked about this whenever Fallen Kingdom came out. That we thought what would have been an amazing way to use these characters to bring the old guard and the new guard together is not have them work together, but to have them on opposing viewpoints of what to do with dinosaurs. Yes. Like have Owen and, uh, I forget Bryce Dallas Howard's character. Claire, Claire, Claire. Claire, thank you. So have Owen and Claire, like be, uh, not environmentalist, but like a protective, like a to try and build a sanctuary for these yeah. dinosaurs. And then you have the old, the old guard, which is, you know, Ellie, Grant, and uh, Ian. Ian, like no, we like we've seen the the detriment that these animals can do. Well, They're, Ian says as much in Fallen Kingdom. He's he like, does, we should just, we should just let him die. Let so the volcano good. explode. Let them, let them all die. Yeah, you know, and that would have been compelling because they would have had a, a natural and authentic reason to come together uh, or or come apart um, and interact in a way that was authentic to their character traits. And in a way that services the story rather than just, oops, I guess you guys are both in the same hole at the same time, so let's climb out together. That's not a, you know, a compelling reason for a team-up movie, but it some is of the, the best. Yeah. It's the best they could come up with, I guess. Some of the best humor beats play on that. They just don't ever focus on that. You know, like when, when Goldblum says something or E. Malcolm says something like, you know, you made a promise to a dinosaur. You know, or, you know, that kind of thing. Like, no. that plays on that idea of old school, new school kind of you know, how, how they yeah, see and, it. Yeah, and similarly, there's a line right after that where he's like, so you uh, you, you trained raptors, huh? Mm-hmm. And, he, and then and then uh, Chris Pratt's like, yeah, well, you know, through understanding human interaction and behavior, and he's like, I couldn't even get my dog to not crap on the <laughs> sofa. Like, yeah. And I, I, there were a couple moments like that that I really liked, but that was it. There was like a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it should have been, we should have gotten 20, 30 minutes of that. Like, it, this isn't a complicated idea. People want to see our heroes have fun together and solve problems yeah. or go head to head in a way that is interesting and dynamic. And we got none of that. Yeah. If this movie can hang its hat on a, like one, I guess even scene really, it's the, <laughs> the chase scene in Malta. 
That was great. That I was thought good. that was the so motorcycles good. and the Raptors. That was yeah. awesome. It I felt liked... like it was Jason Bourne or or Bond. Yeah, but it was it was awesome. Yeah. It was I, I it was it was conceptually interesting. I did enjoy it. The action is not shot all that well. It is it is. This is another difference between Top Gun and this movie. Is the action is shot in a confusing way in this movie. There are moments where Pratt is running. I'm like, where are you geographically? Like, I have no idea where you are geographically related to everything else right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, yeah. coming off of Top Gun, where it's like, I know where every piece is, exactly what it's doing, and what I want it to do. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I mean, it's it's a, a really good analogy. Is like, picture trying to watch basketball shot exclusively at floor level close-ups. Mm-hmm. You can't right. follow the action if you right. can't see it. Right, and it's Everybody like sometimes has you, a GoPro head mount. Like I can't tell is, is Steph Curry open right now or is he like on the bench? Like I can't tell. <laughs> and I think so much, so much of modern action suffers from like just shoot it wide, keep it chronologi- uh, chronologically moving, but that's geographically left to right. Yeah, right. <laughs> And I think one of the cardinal sins of any chase sequence is switching direction. And that happens a couple times. It does happen. And like, so he takes off on his bike and he's screen left, traveling screen right. And then it cuts and he's going the other way. I'm like, what are you doing? Stay on one side of the 180. Yes, we understand intellectually that if you look from opposite ends, it's going to look like he's going different ways. But that doesn't change the fact that subconsciously we're trying to follow something happening. And in real life, you know what we don't do? Immediately change our perspective to the other side. I can't immediately see it from the the other direction and so that you know jostles my brain in a weird way so yes the act that scene is fun and conceptually i i really like it the scene that i liked even better was the i i'm just gonna call it the ice skating scene yeah (laughs) that was great too i thought that was really fun and i i didn't feel as confused during that one the 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 players seemed clear i knew where everybody was i knew what was going on i knew what because we had a couple long we did have shots. some wide shots you know, like, yeah. it's a good wide shot yeah. we know where everybody is yeah. stay there for a minute <laughs> yeah yeah uh that was great I, I also there's a sequence where where bryce has to dive underwater i think this is actually in the trailer even mm-hmm. she has to dive underwater to stay uh hidden from this this bird-like mm-hmm. dino that we meet in this one i don't yeah. even know if he gets a name finally the dinosaurs um, have feathers uh finally they have feathers they, they yeah. finally retconned their own scientific inaccuracies <laughs> in universe they kind of explain it away as like when we did this in 92 we didn't know what science didn't know uh-huh. that they kind of had feathers so the dinosaurs they make now in universe, have feathers mm-hmm. because we know that they did, uh, uh-huh. which is kind of fun. Which uh, yeah, know, I thought, yeah, the, the feathers the, the just ice, weren't the, a part of their original DNA somehow. You know, like yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's kind of like what John says. By the way, it's a Therizinosaurus is the name with the giant claws. Okay. I'm sorry, good zoom tight. <laughs> yeah. Here's one thing. Uh, I wanted to be a paleontologist when I was a kid. Nice. Like, so I know every single dinosaur that was ever on screen in this movie. So. Oh, it was like it was fun seeing like oh G- Gigantosaurus or you know and that's a real creature right the Gigantus whatever yeah <laughs> which is weird because he's not the largest uh, land one the Spinosaurus is I, I took issue with them calling him the largest one he looked appreciably the same size, size as T Rex yeah. in every shot he was like is he just like an inch or two like five percent bigger like I guess yeah he's it got did, more it did scales not seem... and mean yeah. looking so he's worse. 
Uh, I want to talk about some other um, yeah, forced, yeah, yeah. forced callbacks, some other in- sure. interesting things. This callback, I, this this is actually the least forced callback, in my opinion, because it means something to the story, and I find it interesting. The fact that our villain is Dodgson, uh, which is, you know, yeah. fa- I, I know his name famously from the Dodson. We got Dodson here. We got Dodson here. here. See, no one cares. <laughs> well, now everybody cares. Um, but, uh, I think but, you yeah. mean Tim Cook. <laughs> yeah, yes. evil Tim Cook. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. I thought uh, uh, Campbell Scott did phenomenal job. I did too. With, with what was probably written pretty thinly, but all of his like stammering and like awkward avoidance yes. of eye contact, like oh, this guy he has that weird like uh, uh, like billionaire trait where like yeah, the, the same way like, like Elon mm-hmm. Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, they're all like a little weirder than most normal people. There's something they don't live in our reality. They fly on helicopters all day. And I thought he nailed that, like, really aloof, mm-hmm. uncaring kind of behavior. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, this guy would definitely throw an entire, you know, farm crop under the table if it meant <laughs> he'd make an extra dollar. Um, for sure. So is is the illusion there that he is the same guy? Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah, that's Dotson. Yeah, that's that's Dotson from the original movie. And he's worked his way up to see the CEO of... Uh, Biosyn is that the name yeah. of the company, which also is in the original book. Is um, it was was Biosyn in the original movie, or was he just? I think he's just a competitor. I don't that, remember. He was an unnamed competitor, but it was Biosyn, okay. pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so it's it's interesting to see that play out. And by the way, the actor who uh, played the original uh, Dotson is in like re- like in jail. I think like real legal oh. trouble or whatever. So they, they oh. obviously went a different direction. They probably yeah, see, I didn't would pick have it up. anyway. I didn't pick but... up on that immediately because I'm like, this. it's not the same actor. I'm like, is he like a brother or a father? Like, I didn't pick up that it's supposed to be the same guy. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, no, but... I, I think you're right. But immediately I was like, oh, I know the name, but like he's not, he doesn't look like him at all. So I guess it's just, he's just related. I, I, I didn't get it. Yeah. But yeah. then there's a there's a there's a close up shot of an item later. I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. Close up shot of an item, um, which we're all supposed to go. Ooh, I know that item. Um, yeah. and How did they get that? And then there's a. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it well, buried in mud? It's all scorched now. <laughs> oh, so so, so yeah, who knows what happened. Um, <laughs> But and maybe it was maybe there were several of them, right? Like you know, it wasn't just the one. They were trying to do this several times. I have no idea. Anyways, they also basically shot for shot uh, have a. I'm trying not to spoil anything about the Dodson character. You can imagine what happens to villains usually at the end of movies like this. Uh, but shot for shot, the same as Nedry's uh, in yeah. the in the first uh, yeah. movie, and yeah. it's just stuff like that. I just go. It, I, I think one, it wasn't it wasn't satisfying because we had seen it before. Yes, and two, it's not satisfying because nobody witnesses it. Right, and and three, he does not have any Any context. With any of our heroes except for a friendly and awkward introduction at the beginning of the film. So, like, as far as they know, he's not even necessarily the bad guy or was even complicit. He's just a guy that runs the company. Well, Ian knew. Ian was, like, I think Ram- Ian figured out. Well, but Ramsey, Ian doesn't. Ramsey is the one that I think we're supposed to believe. I, mean, I guess this is kind of spoilery, but Ramsey's the one I think we're supposed to believe is passing the information along yeah. to everybody, right? Yeah. But it just, it's the kind of thing where. Uh, the best Bond movies are where he has a tight relationship with a villain, and the worst ones are where he meets the villain at the end and kills him, and it's over. It's like, well, I'm sorry, that was that was pretty spoilery. I, I apologize for for. 
throwing that plot point out I, there, but this, yeah. I honestly, this movie is a mess. No one. <laughs> I guess. Surprise, my, yeah, my a point bad is human. He's, he's a he's a bad character, but he's not a good villain. If that makes sense, right. he's not established. He doesn't have any relationship with our heroes. He's not ever standing in their way directly. He just kind of pulls some strings and then leaves. And it, it didn't. It, it wasn't satisfying at all. His exit. Well, here's the, what makes a great villain is you know. Whenever they're in a position like this character, you have to have them believe whatever they're doing is good. You know, right? Like whenever you have a, a tech billionaire like this, if you just have a tech billionaire who is painfully evil for because you need a villain, they're not good. They have to think like there has to be. I hate I, I, hate, I, I hate coming back to Thanos all the time, but you know Thanos thought he was helping, so there has to be something within evil Tim Cook to where he's like. Yes, this is happening, but it's for this greater good of blah, 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 blah. The greater and he, good. In his mind, his actions outweigh whatever is going to be going on. But that just doesn't happen here. He's just like, he's apparently this brilliant mind, but something so painfully obvious is like, yeah, that's bad. You should probably stop doing it. He's like, no. <laughs> I, I think for that reason, I thought B.D. Wong's character, who now in his fourth movie, mm-hmm. was yeah. way more compelling as a character because he's someone who is he's the he's the reason everything has gone uh, to crap in this universe. He's the one that keeps creating new dinosaurs and new plagues. But he finally in this at the beginning of this movie he's like maybe I shouldn't do this. If he was the big bad, that would have been a compelling film. Mm-hmm. I'm so cuz on and on the other thing too is our characters actually have a relationship with him. He worked directly for Bryce Dallas Howard and he interacted with the original trilogy in the original mm-hmm. film. He would have been a great character as the villain. That has to either change his mind or or get his comeuppance at the end. And they right. just don't. They just don't do that. Henry Wu is the most overused, underdeveloped character I've ever yeah. seen. Like yeah. in the first movie, he is exposition. He's there to explain a specific item about what's going to happen in the park. Then he's gone for all the movies until Jurassic World, where all of a sudden he's just evil for no good reason. You know, he... Like, we never established that he was evil in the first Jurassic Park movie. And then in, I can't remember, but in Fallen Kingdom, he was just, like, hell-bent on getting Blue and, like, understanding, you know, everything there was to know about Blue and (laughs) how this raptor in particular was uh, not docile, but, you know, like, uh, trainable or, you know, something along those lines. Like, what in her genome or genetic code is, like... (laughs) allowed blue to be like that and then this one it's like he's another completely different character arc and i'm like make up your mind with what you want this character to be because if you keep like you know throwing noodles at the wall you know to see which one will stick like that's not how you develop a character you know uh there's a there's a quick paragraph on wikipedia that explains his inclusion in jurassic world which is that colin trevorrow wanted more connective tissue between his movie and the old one and he literally looked at who is still alive, and he was the only character that survived the events of the first three <laughs> movies. Yeah. Outside, outside of Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and, and, and Jeff Goldblum, who he couldn't or didn't want to get back, it was like, well, John Hammond in universe is dead, and Sam Jackson died, and Muldoon died, and Nedry died. Everyone else in the story is gone, and it's like, well, there was this one guy in the first movie <laughs> in the scene. Well, let's just get him back and give him more lines. And it was like, I, I okay. I remember seeing that in theaters. Everyone going like, "Hey, look, it's BD War!" Like people were excited, and I'm like, "Yeah, really? He wasn't a, an important guy." I thought they they had the potential to make him into a really good villain, 
and they just they just did. They never did. They never yeah. kind of built him into that role. All right, uh, let's kind of close it up with maybe one last thing, one last thought uh, about this movie. Uh, anything else you didn't get to say that you want to make sure you say before we move on? Um, Andrew, you got anything? Yeah, um, there's actually a lot of like uh, <clears throat> short films on YouTube and stuff. Like you can call them prequels or like. We're, we're uh, going to talk about that later. Oh, we are? Oh, we are. I think we just got a buried treasure. Uh, well, then I'm tease. just going to hold off and say that there hold is on, no yes. post credit scene. <laughs> yes, that's right. There's a pre credit scene, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Uh, Aaron, what about you? What is your final thing? I here? think for me, you know, one thing I haven't talked about, I do want to talk about this. I think for me, the thing that the Jurassic World movies did that I think messed up the universe more than anything else is they decided the dinosaurs should be human characters. So making the dinosaurs human has done a couple things. Uh, One is they've made the dinosaurs villains, uh, which gives them motivations that they haven't had in the other movies and that they don't need. It's much scarier to me if they're just animals because animals are unpredictable, right? Like Mm. humans I kind of get. Like motivations, movies know how to short circuit or change or whatever, but... um, so, yeah, p- piggybacking on that, it's actually crazy that in three movies, I don't think Blue kills a single human. Correct. And, and this, it's kind of like, what? You have a trained raptor, we never once see it like unleashed? Come this on. This is the other part. It makes the dinosaurs uh, like, oh, we have to love them and save them and you know um and and listen i i'm i'm a huge animal lover i think you should love and save animals but not because you know of their sapience uh it is it is more just because of uh you know how the con- conservationist aspect as opposed to um you know making it more about oh they have human thoughts human in they're making them intellectual animals which changes so many things and um and it's kind of been annoying to me so yeah that would be my one last thing yeah Yeah. Uh, lastly i i wanted to point out uh i i guess this is kind of a pro and i appreciate what dominion did at least what it attempted to do which is of the six movies or of the five sequels this is certainly uh for better or worse the most original it actually tried some new things and extrapolated the threads of the last movies and extended them to their natural conclusions. I think a lot of people are going to be turned off by that because instead of theme parks and dinosaurs, we're talking about human cloning and genetics and, and experimentations, and it becomes a and science thriller. And, and yeah, and locusts. And I think that that's definitely like a natural progression of where they were leading. Um, I don't think it's the, the finish line that anyone really wanted. And I think because of that, I can't imagine a lot of younger audiences enjoying or even understanding the first like 90 minutes of this film it is two and a half hours long and like for the first half it they're just again moving pieces on the board to get things ready and i I think the dinosaur action is so few and far between in that early hour that younger audience is going to be like what this is i don't care about this like this you're talking about a black market trade in on the streets of malta like it's interesting but it feels like it's from a separate film it really does yeah a separate franchise even well, there you go. Uh, that is Jurassic World Dominion, which I have seen both with the colon and without the colon. One way it's Jurassic World Dominion. The other way it's Jurassic World Dominion, uh, which I kind of like the second version better. Um, but yeah, I would not recommend it. But if you've seen Jurassic movies, you're going to have a few uh, things with the dinosaurs. I, I would say love. if you've already seen Maverick and IMAX, 
you, 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 yeah, this is not a bad, not a bad watch. Not maybe a, at a matinee, matinee price, maybe <laughs> something like that. Yeah, but only if you've already your, seen Top Gun. It shouldn't be your first pick whenever you go to correct, the theaters. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to our second film. Let's talk a little about. Err. No, RRR <laughs> is what we're going to go with. Uh, let's talk about RRR. A fictional history of two legendary revolutionaries journey away from home before they began fighting for their country in the 1920s. Uh, RRR is an interesting movie to set up before we kind of go into this. It is available on Netflix. Uh, It is the most expensive Indian film ever produced. Uh, It is uh, available in several dubs. Um, the Hindi version is the version that is on Netflix, um, that is dubbed in Hindi, as well as, uh, you know, there are plenty of English speaking actors as well, um, who are dubbing their roles in English. Uh, so yeah, as far as people you may have heard of, Ray Stevenson is, uh, in there, um, who you may know from some things. Um, Allison Duty, who you may know from Indiana Jones. Last Crusade. Uh, in The Last Crusade. Is in there. Things did not end well for her. I'll tell you that right now. She was. <laughs> I mean, how painfully obvious is it to not go past the seal? She heard the same thing that everybody else did. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about RRR. Um, some of the names you may not have heard of, uh, but are in this movie, uh, is uh, Inte Ramo Rao Jr., uh, who plays Beam. And uh, then Ram is played by Aluri uh, Sidamari Raju. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about it. Um, what did you guys think of uh, RRR? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Andrew, kick us off. I'm going to go with loved it. Low side of loved it, but I loved it. I really nice. did. Nice. John? Uh, high side of loved it. This was phenomenally fun. Yeah, I'm going to join you in the Loved It camp, maybe right around Andrew more than uh, John. Um, I I do have some negatives that we can talk about, uh, but man, what a fun movie. Like, you know, you mentioned mentioned Jurassic World Dominion being two and a half hours, just being, oh, two and a half hours. This is over three hours. Three hours. And it it feels like it in the best way. Like, there are like five different movies here, Mm -hmm. and they jam them all in, and it works. Yeah. It doesn't feel overstuffed. It feels like you're getting a full plate and you are you are being fed just gourmet food after gourmet. It's it's great. There's, every sequence is just one upping the last. And there's not a lot of downtime. This is it's paced well, but not like breathlessly. There's enough mm-hmm. beats where we kind of slow down and then we pick up, we do another big 20-minute sequence. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I, it was I just had so much fun. This is just over the top in the best way. It continues the uh, 2020s trend of putting your title card 40 minutes into the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. 42 minutes. I looked at my watch. I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) I mean, they kept, they kept teasing it. It was, it's interesting. Like mm -hmm. at the beginning of the movie, you get ours, you know, like Mm -hmm. as a chapter title. Right. But then after, but then after like the full title is revealed, the chapter thing stops. Yes. Yeah, yeah, structurally, there is some weird things going on there. Um, I don't hate it. it no, it I'm didn't just... bother me, but it was like, oh, yeah, I guess they're not doing that anymore. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm well, like. But, oh, we're... But, it wasn't some, but it was something that was done for, with a purpose, and then that purpose ended, right? Like, yeah, so, yeah. like, it is literally a movie as a cold open. 
Like it is, yeah. it is it, well, yeah. three movies. That could, in fact, that could, have like, been, that could have been a movie. That yeah. first forty-five minutes. Yes, like in Easily. the you know. So the R is in. By the way, we're we're gonna be talking fairly freely about this movie. So there are things you might consider spoilers if you just want to, you know, fast forward to uh, the best ever challenge. Totally understand that. This is um, more yeah. of a spectacle film, though, and not really. Uh, like a densely plotted I heard, dramatic uh, affair. <laughs> one of the reviews I read after I watched it last night <clears throat> said something along the lines of it's the kind of movie that you can't really spoil because even if you say what's happening, oh, watch, it doesn't, you, it, watching it, doesn't it matter. is still it amazing. Matter. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter. So we're kind of taking that like I um, could say mindset. I could use the phrase weaponized tiger and that would be a spoiler. But also, it's like, that sounds super cool. I need to watch this movie. Exactly right. Weaponized Tiger. Yeah. Just wild. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, the cold open is basically the story, the fire in the water. And I love one of the things I love about this movie, and there are plenty of things I love about this movie. So, the positive section for this review will go on for a while, I'm sure. Yeah. But one of Absolutely. the things I love about this movie is that it doesn't force feed you its themes. Like, it, like just calling it the fire in the water is enough. And it's like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing here with you know this character being represented by water and some of the characteristics of water and this character being represented by fire and some of the characteristics of fire and the way you're playing that metaphor through the actual fight scenes and you know the things that they're using and the shots you're doing of fire and water like the movie doesn't it puts it in your face in the best way where it's like you mm. get to understand it even though the movie is not you know um making i guess expositioning it you know and making dialogue about oh you're the fire guy you know like it's some movies would do that and this movie's just like no you're gonna get it you're gonna understand what's going on here so yeah 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 i really dug that and and when fire and water uh finally come together under the bridge hanging on ropes i I like cheered out loud i'm sitting alone watching it by myself (laughs) i did not have the opportunity i don't know about you guys to see this in a theater I've heard the theatrical experience is, you know, one of the best. I of imagine the year. if if, yeah. if it's playing locally, it it's not playing anywhere no. uh, in my neck of the woods. No, no, but this this feels it. like the the best kind of movie to just uh, uh, you know get inebriated with fun uh, friends and family and just kick back and you know eat a lot of junk food. Uh, this is a, <laughs> like a par- this feels like a party kind of a movie. Like just have a blast with it. Yeah, I don't I I don't know if this is what you meant by that, John. But I don't think that this is a movie that's like. Like yeah, let's get drunk and watch a uh, just watch a crazy movie. I think that there's actually some really oh no, there is yeah amazing things going on. Not only you know uh, visually but thematically, you know. Uh, I think my I'll say this just now just to get it out of the way. I only have one con for this movie, and I'm gonna say that the inciting incident, you know, like at the very beginning, is so cringy and like. Like a, a cartoon villain, cartoon villain. Like you're like, uh, if if you were curious about you know what you know people thought about colonial, you know <laughs> a British colonial occupation of India. I think this movie pretty much sums it up how they felt about it. <laughs> I uh, this is my one negative as well. And let's go ahead and go here, and then we can just gush over the movie. But mm, that is this the uh, over the top cheesiness that happens in this movie is occasionally <coughs> distracting to me um and we recently reviewed um interceptor on is also on netflix right and yeah. yes i'm about to compare interceptor and rrr and here That's- 
Here is what I know don't you're shaking there. your head. I don't understand. I understand. I'll come over there. I know where you live. I'll come over there. <laughs> but I think there is something about the the idea of like why we go so hard against a movie like Interceptor, which has cheesy dialogue in dumb scenes, when a movie like this also has cheesy dialogue in, you know, crazy over the top action, unrealistic things that are happening. And I think there is an easy answer to that. I think the easy answer is that RRR is just a smarter movie overall, like a smarter story. Well, it's also and, self-aware. And, it knows it's correct. It's doing. Is correct. it self-aware or is it is this just the style that we should expect from a Bollywood film? You know, technically like, Tollywood. Tollywood, yeah, yeah. It's technically well, then IMDb week. just lied. To me. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, uh, from uh, Tele- well, Tele- it's, Telangana, which yes, is a separate region in India. And, and it's um, important to mention that because I do know people uh, oh, yeah. very oh, specific, in particular, about the idea of Bollywood oh, trust and Tollywood. Me. I know. And, yeah, whenever I was, so. whenever I was doing YouTube, uh, I did a review for a movie that I thought was a Bollywood film, and let let's just it. say that let they let me know in the comments <laughs> how. Wrong uh, that I said, was. though, I, I think to answer your question, I, I, it is definitely prevalent within you know Indian cinema that they have a, a tendency, especially with, within the action genre, to have these bigger, over the top, sort of self aware movies. This is um, their this is their marvel, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they know what they're doing. It's deliberate. Um, this RR felt to me like the Fast and the Furious, if it was funnier and had music, and was even more self aware of how insane the physics of it is. And I think if if Vin Diesel and and Paul Walker, you know, God rest his soul, if they had broken out to song in the middle of like Fast Five and done like a little dance number. That would have been great. I would have been on board for that. Guys, um, guys, this it's my favorite part of the movie. The music in this so movie good. is it's so, so good. good. <laughs> and it's expositional. Like it's it narration. It's narrational music at times. And it's, I just, I love it so much. Um, yeah, there's a great montage where our two leads slowly become friends and buddies. And the theme oh, song is yeah. like, one guy is really this, this guy is they become it's friends from different worlds. It's almost as expositional as like Gilligan's Island or something, like, oh, a, yeah. like a sitcom theme song. It's like, it's amazing. It's describing where they came from, why they're friends, and like, but later on, that might become enemies. Like, it's literally telling you what will I'm happen. I'm sure that there is a beauty lost in translation from sure, Hindi to English, course. but for us, for yeah, at least American reading the speakers song. reading the subtitles, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's kind it was, of funny. It was, it was very funny, but and that montage was delightful because it not only not oh. only does the, the the lyrics remind me of an old sitcom, the the visuals reminded me of like an '80s sitcom where everyone's just like turning to camera, like this is my name, <laughs> this is my credit, and it felt like the opening to Full House or Growing Pains. Like they're just uh-huh. everyone's smiling, everybody's like walking with their elbows up, just like uh-huh. having a great time and. It is such a fan, and this is fifty minutes into the movie, but like it's such a fantastic way to like open mm-hmm. that sort of chapter of the film and get us into where we need to be, where uh, they, they, the division starts happening between them. And it's I don't know this movie works in so many ways because it just does things Hollywood never would. And I and I am just because it because it's so fresh and maybe if I watched a lot more Indian cinema, it wouldn't feel as unique uh, to me. But I, I don't have a lot of experience with that stuff. So this was like, oh, this is fantastic. I've never seen a movie go as hard as RRR. Like, it just goes for the fences every time. It is uh, it is impressive how much it does that. Um, 
I, I, I really enjoyed many things about this movie. The music is definitely one of them. The, the music and dancing, I should say. Uh, and, um, but the, the fighting was also interesting um, because, again, it was metaphorical. And yet at the same time, it was, uh, I think it was, it was supposed to be literal. Like we're supposed to literally believe what's happening on the screen is actually happening. Um, so, and and yeah, to was, our point we made about Jurassic World, I felt like almost all of the action and certainly some of the uh, the chase sequences were well plotted and choreographed and oh, I was never we confused. had a lot of it was we had a lot of wide shots and a lot of like pretty decent uh oneers. We had, you know, good 20 30 second shots throughout. They were probably all stitched together from multiple takes, but there's a couple sequences uh where we just like hang on one guy as he fights off four guys at once. And I, I love that stuff. It looked great. It's it, it has like this overly glossy, bright, saturated sheen to it. But it works, and it looks like a, a really slick music video set to this awesome Indian soundtrack with these big buff guys just flawlessly executing everyone in their way without ever missing. I don't think any of them miss a shot once. That's fine. <laughs> I'm on board. It was great. It's clear. It's The action in more of the motivations even are so clear. Like we are set up so quickly. This character needs to do this. This other character needs to do this. And, and they're yes. diametrically and, opposed. And, and now the they are best friends, but they don't know that their main primary ultimate goal in life is contradictory to each other. Right. What a beautiful setup. That's all you need. And like to, to the tension is then is just built in. You don't need to do a lot to stoke that fire. Uh, it's right there. And you add to that the fact that the water fire stuff is such a perfect representation of the situation they're in. Water and fire, you would think of, are opposites. They are going to result in the extinguishing of one or the other of them. They cannot work together to do any kind of job. And yet this movie goes, but can they? And, uh, yeah, I just, I, yeah, there's so much about this movie that's not just crazy action. You know, there's yeah. some real thought yeah. here. It, it reminded me of like, a, uh, at least from a plotting perspective, a bit like a, a soap opera, like these big sort of operatic conflicts, but they're distilled and sort of focused in such a narrow beam mm -hmm. that, like you said, you kind of get the conflict so quickly that the rest is just this like dramatic irony throughout that really... Uh, I think works really effectively. And they paid mm -hmm. off a, a couple different times over in a way that felt uh, organic to the to the story and the characters. And it was it was so surprising to see where this would go, especially since it feels like only two hours into the three hour movie, the story's kind of wrapping up and it's like, oh no, they have another gear to this. They're gonna go an entirely different yeah. way for the final act. And and yeah, without without spoiling too much, that was my favorite section. Like mm -hmm. when they finally uh, kind of turn that last corner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a question for you guys, and I guess, Aaron, you would be the best one to answer this. <clears throat> the dynamic and the, I guess, the chemistry, I should say, between our two leads reminded me a lot of Gene Kelly and Donald O'Connor. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not I'm not even trying to be joking here. Like, sure. No, their, I their, their acting ability, the way they can dance, you know, like there was a there was a chemistry that felt like it transcended the film. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sure really enough. upset we never got to see Gene Kelly in like a really good action movie. Yeah. Well <laughs> yeah. you could you could call this movie Firing in the Rain. Like I mean this yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I kind of see that. That's a really good... uh, I mean, it plays with the water fire themes and everything. Let's go. Firing in the rain. Let's do it. Which, by the way, that sequence where they're in the courtyard and like one has the fire behind him and the other has Mm -hmm. the water behind him. It might be like one of the most visually beautiful like oh, sequences. It was, it was so good. It, I yeah. mean, it, everything is very like Renaissancean in mm-hmm. the way that like these frames are composed and everything is super slow motion. So you can appreciate the way um, they come out of like this swirling fireball that just perfectly vignettes their entire silhouette. And they kind of step through it like this guy looks like a GQ model come to life. Mm-hmm. He's shirtless. He's on fire. He's oily. And he's ready to just kick ass and take names. Yeah. And it, the, the, the movie just leans into that, like, visual aesthetic almost uh, in in lieu of dialogue in some places. Mm-hmm. Like, they just – a lot like, a lot of the visuals and a lot of just these, uh, like, dialogue-free stares do all the speaking uh, in a lot of places. Yeah. And, and when actually when they when the characters first meet, they just communicate with a, a type of sign language. And they don't even oh, speak yeah, for just the first – It's, so it's just like, I'm going to do this. You're going to do this. Okay. It's so and it's like, I love that. There's yeah. something very simplistic about how much is told uh, without words in this. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. Yeah. I think my favorite sequence in this movie is the uh, the not kneeling while singing. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. think that's the, bra- the Braveheart scene. Yes, the Braveheart scene. Yeah. 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 That was that was I wonder, good. I wonder what this movie like, what this like director writer this whole thing could do or look like with a full like Hollywood budget. Like we say, this is the highest grossing, uh, or I mean, the most expensive you know Hollywood film ever made. Uh, it it costs seventy two. It's already made one hundred and sixty. No, it costs forty five. Uh, I read seventy two as well. So I just look as uh, <laughs> three point five billion rupees is what it's saying on IMDb is what the uh, mm. and that translates to uh, unless there's been an incredibly drastic decline in there can you know, be that's the thing like it, it could the the cost could have been different uh in you know conversion to american dollars when they spent it versus what it is also now, wikipedia so. might be listing total production and, and marketing whereas imdb might just be mm. yeah production be. I, don't, be. I don't know either way the, yeah the movie was very expensive uh on par with any american film with the exception of the big big tent poles uh, yeah. And it's and it's doing great. It's playing well, certainly internationally, uh, but it's playing well really in America too, which I, I love to see more people find uh, foreign films and, and you know experiment and try stuff that you know I don't know that my parents would ever put this on, but like I'm going to recommend it to them because it's so much fun and hopefully yeah. they'll give it a chance. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I can't. Three hours seems daunting, but man, I would love to see this again. I will tell you, uh, my wife watched this with me, and she was definitely aware of the three hours. Uh, there were a couple times mm. she was like, "This is still happening," and uh, and she did not enjoy it as much as I did. Um, oh. So you know, it's I don't know that this is like across all quadrants kind of movie. Yeah, I don't I do. know. That, I don't know that it oh. is. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I, I could see Jen her, going, this is still happening. Well, well, and me her, just going, this is still happening. Her, 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 her response at the, the end was, I think you really liked that movie. That, that, was, her, that was her review. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> such a, like, a polite way to be condescending. <laughs> it well, wasn't condescending at all. It. it wasn't condescending um, at all. I will say, in respect to my wife, uh, she was busy working. Uh, and she kept coming in and out of the room as I was watching. And she kept stopping and being like, 
Okay, yeah, this is, and then by the end of the movie, she was like, I think I just watched an hour of that, just sort of accidentally. And I'm like, yeah, I, it has that effect. Like, she couldn't look away from it. Yeah. And she didn't necessarily even need to know all the, the stuff that was happening. Just mm. individual moments were enough. And she was like, no, this looks cool, and I'm having fun. And I kind of, I, I briefed her on, like, the kind of the background of the characters. And so even if you just watch it, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, bits and pieces. So here's another part of the movie that would fly over most of our heads. Um, and only, uh, you know, I mean, it wouldn't fly over our heads. Like, I think it's fairly obvious that it's going on, but as far as how deep the meaning is to it might fly over our heads. But it's a very na- um, jingoistic, nationalistic film. This is, this is a movie about India's independence. And yes. the entire final... You know, dance number is a tribute to like the heroes of, you know, India's independence movie when there's a moment where a character wraps themselves in a flag to protect them. That Mm -hmm. flag is the pre-independence, you know, revolution flag like this is this is a movie about something deep and meaningful to this country. It would you know, it would be. You know, similar to, uh, you know, our revolution movies or the Patriot yeah, or something like that. I was like going to say, it, it would be analogous to seeing a movie, like, again, picture Fast and Furious, but instead of Vin and Paul, it's George Washington and Benjamin Franklin. And and they're, and they're like racing horses through the streets of Boston. Well, the best. And, and yeah. The best. That's kind of what I got. This is, this is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. For India, like this is, you know, that idea and and should be seen as such like there's the again, I think you're completely right, John. I think they're completely self-aware. They know what's going on here, just like a movie like Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter knows like they're not saying these because these are the names of actual heroes in the fight for independence. Um, But it is completely fictional, obviously, uh, what they're saying happened here. So, yeah, there's also something else interesting, too, that. I don't know if it's something I just I don't fully understand, but what I got is there's a scene towards the end where uh, Rom is the character's name, mm-hmm. uh, uh, where he is like uh, adorned with like mud and he has a bow and arrow and he has uh, face paint on, and they're he goes singing into Rambo song. mode. Yeah, he's going Rambo mode. There's a song playing in the background saying Rama, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Rama is a god in the Hindi language who uses a bow and arrow to protect the people. So yes, I, it, I don't pick up on that stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. I thought it sounded cool. Though. But I just figured that would be a little <laughs> cool thing for you guys to see. Yeah. And maybe, no, sure. that, maybe that's my, maybe that's not the intent and I'm just picking up on something, you know. Well, the, but it, it felt like it, it was, you know. And then. Bima is, I think Bima is another, and then whenever uh, the other character, uh, Beam, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he comes out of the water with the spear and everything. I'm pretty sure Bima is another, like, either mythological character or he's a, a, yeah. a, a, a hero, like a folk hero or something I think like that. there's some really interesting, nuanced stuff going on here with the themes and the messaging and, and the metaphor. And I just, I, I really, really love it. Um, and I wish I got all that stuff uh, a little more, but you know, it's, that's part of what, it, what makes it beautiful, right? Is, you know, just seeing this perspective that you're just unaware of in, you know, the other thing, like you could call it like a, like the Patriot, you know, the, that kind of movie, you know, from our history, you know, we have mm-hmm. our own war of independence from England. Uh, every country does yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> hey, sun never sat on the British empire uh, until it did. Until it did. Um, but it would be like that. Cause this was, 
I mean, I think officially India didn't gain independence till the late 40s. So this is just like recent history, too. So it'd be like that movie, but made, you know, um, with a more recent history of we had to fight for this 80 years right. ago, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. yeah it wasn't until like Gandhi, you know. There, there are certainly people alive right now who lived in British India. You know what I mean? Like that is, 100%. Um, yeah. so that's, you know, that's wild, um, to, to kind of consider it that way. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's meaningful, uh, very deep yeah. and meaningful. I imagine. So it's not yeah. like the only negatives you guys really had were just that the, the British villains were a bit over the it, top and a bit was, one-sided. It wasn't even that here. I guess this is a better way to explain like my big issue with this movie is that inciting incident with the girl and everything. Okay, yeah. Everything in this movie felt secondary to the relationship between Beam and Rom. Like, what was going on between them was the most, like, fascinating part of the movie. And I get you can't have that that, uh, dichotomy without this inciting incident or anything. It just felt like it was the simplest way to get to that tension between the two characters. Yes, yeah, right. That uh, I was like, yeah, but these two guys, they sold it so good that uh, the, the, the Doobie or the Duty and the Ray Stevenson character, I was like, uh, yeah, what, what's going on with you guys? I, I don't really care. I want to see what's going to happen with these two guys. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, f- for me, is the uh, most of the English acting throughout is terrible. Um, and I don't know if know, well, you brought this up last week with the uh, interceptor. Is mm-hmm. this how they are told to perform? You know, I don't know. Fit? I, yeah, and it's, that's that's. I've seen Ray again, yes. do some really good work. No, absolutely. And this this is this is why we say this every time. The actor's performance you see is not their responsibility at the end of the day. The actor's performance you see on the screen has had many hands crafting it, especially the editing, directing, those kind of things. So, yeah. um, so yes, this is not a slam on, on Duty or Stevenson. Um, it's not even really a big slam. It's just saying because I had the same thing with Squid Game, right? There is something where it's like, and we probably, this is, this is a beautiful experience for us to have. Because so many people in the world have this with our movies, where, you know, somebody who uh, is playing, you know, them, uh, quote unquote, their, you know, their perspective, their idea, their culture, those kind of things. Um, we don't know how to as uh, or we're, we're very poor, I should say, at as uh, our American Western culture directors, editors, those kind of things at understanding what maybe their best takes are or how their language works in a way emotionally that maybe we don't quite catch. And so now we get to experience how uh, an American, you know, performance gets put out there by somebody who that's not their first language or their first understanding of how the the emotion works. So, you know, it's it's I think a reminder to directors of all cultures and persuasions to have people around them that can craft those performances that know the language, know the, you know, uh, how that works. Because to an American, I'm not going to notice that if right. somebody speaking um, a different language in a movie doesn't, it's not going to feel right to me because I don't speak that language or come from that culture. But um, yeah, I, I think it's the, the, to, to distill that. I think 
subtitles certainly masks uh, poor performances or mm-hmm. hide great performances potentially. Like, potentially, I, I think yes. Every, I think everyone did great, but because I'm reading it and not listening explicitly, uh, I don't know how strong their performances are in their native language. Just like the English ones seem, be, because that sort of that that separation. Like I do know what they're saying, and I don't have to read it. I can hear it and feel it, and it's like, okay, yeah, these feel a little flat. Right, uh, exactly. and that might be that. That's probably how everyone else feels when they watch an American movie, potentially, if they yes. don't speak English. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, I had the exact same thing with Squid Game when the Americans showed up in Squid Game in that English acting, where it's just like it's not crafted in the same way because the people putting to it together don't necessarily hear it in the same way that that we do, and that's that's fine. That's not necessarily what it's about, um, but it, it it does impact my ability, like those those cartoonish villain characters it's kind of the point but it does distract yeah. me every once in a while so yeah i think there's there any, is that um, any final thoughts from anybody give it a shot you'll oh yeah, you might be pleasantly surprised if you big if you've never seen uh an indian film and like you just been like i don't know if it's something i like i think this is the one to give a shot uh, I'm going to be listening to the soundtrack and not understanding oh, yeah. a word of what is said, but enjoying it uh, completely. This is incredible music. Um, now, some of those songs legit slapped, and I was yeah. like, no, this is, I have no idea what they're saying, but like, this is good. This is yeah, yeah. this is great right now. Yeah. Um, one, one, without giving away spoilers, there is a scene uh, involving a piggyback ride and a double rifle reload. I I I I hollered. I was like, "Yes, that was so good." <laughs> yeah, there's, I loved a, it. I, there's, there's, there's a bunch of there's little moments like that where there's just like a little flourish on what could have just been a regular action shot, mm-hmm. a regular yeah. scene. You know, you just need to reload the gun, but like a double barrel piggyback ride reload. I'm like, "Yes, that was so good." I guess I do have I one more thing to, to say because you brought up spoilers, and uh, there are several story turns in this movie. But I think more than just story turns. This movie is very particular about when it gives you information, and I think it doles it out really, really well. There's a very specific piece of information and backstory that some lazier or uh, unconfident movies would have given you a lot sooner and let you kind of start to piece together some things before. Mm. And this movie's like, nope, we're going to give it to you when it's time for you to know that, and we don't need you to like be thinking about it before then. Um, and I was really impressed with the way this I know movie what you're talking about, and I, I completely agree. And that, that I think that would be one of the few sort of uh, spoilery things. We won't discuss it anymore, but uh, completely agree. And I loved the treatment uh, of how they did that. Yeah. I just thought it was really well handled, uh, the information in this movie and how it was doled out. Um, was really well handled. Well, there you go. That is RRR uh, Rise Revolt Revenge. Rise Roar. Rise Roar Revolt. Re- uh, one of them's Revenge. The last one's Revenge, I think. Rise. No, I think it's Rise uh, uh, Roar Revolt. According to the IMDb trivia, which I don't know how well you can choose it, like there's uh, for every single language they've like re. They changed it. They changed it <laughs> where it fits. Nice. Um, so let me see if I can find the the English one. I thought it was Rise, Roar, Revolt, but maybe... Uh, The film title has different abbreviations in different languages, but commonly called RRR. Rodrum, uh, Ronum, Redidu, and Rise, Roar, Revolt in both Hindi and English. Nice. There you go. 
Well, whatever the R stand for, uh, one of them should be run right out to Netflix and uh, and watch it because uh, mm-hmm. we all had a blast with it. Uh, yes. All right, let's move in. Uh, before we move in, I should say to our best ever challenge. Just a reminder that you can be a Sif Pop member. Uh, membership starts at three dollars a month. Lots of fun stuff. Um, for instance, this week on the bonus podcast for our members, which you get your own bonus podcast feed where all the episodes come, as well as all the bonus episodes and no ads. Uh, all that is at patreon.com slash siftpop. This week we talked about uh, the Jurassic movies. We did an official sift sort ranking of the Jurassic films. Um, so if you want to check that out, uh, you can become a Sif Pop member and just to let you know how much we appreciate our Sif Pop members. We love giving you that extra content. So if you want to check out all the details, there's different levels, different fun little uh, gifts that we give you. Patreon.com slash siftpop. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, let's do the best ever challenge. Best ever Jeff Goldblum movies. Uh, he's been in some doozies. We'll go from number five uh, to number one. Before we get into this, we kind of mentioned in the uh, the members pre-show that we would slot in Jurassic World Dominion into uh, our sift sort. Oh, yeah. Now, without giving away the order of the sift sort um, that we did for the members, um, I'd be curious what number you would put it at. Um, second worst. Second worst. Uh, Andrew? Second uh, Second or third worst. I'll go third, third worst. Third worst. Yeah, third I think worst. third worst is right. Um, yeah. But again, this goes back to a conversation we had uh, during a difference yeah. in opinion that we have about a particular movie that you'll have to listen to the members podcast to, listen to, uh, it. to find out. We don't usually disagree that strongly, so that was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. Uh, all right, best ever Go- Jeff Goldblum movies. We will go yes. number five to number one, and you can uh, trump it if you have it higher. Um, I'll kick us off at number five. I have the player at number five. Do either of you have the player on your list? I I I enjoy that movie, but I honestly don't think it's that great. Really? Uh, it. I maybe I need to revisit it. I watched it when I was like a young twenty something in college, and I thought it was a little too pretentious and a little too self-aware uh, i mean that opening one is like, I like, very, the se- like look, i love the self-awareness though like the meta-ness of it i think maybe, it's- maybe that's maybe at the time i was not receptive to it i gotta revisit it um it feels yeah it feels a bit a bit much i do like it i just it's not my top five i think tim robbins is really good in it um i think it goes to some really interesting places um but yeah i it is if you love movies and you start it's kind of that thing and it hit me right in that right place where it kind of came out right when I was starting to think of movies differently as not just something like, hey, it's, you know, it's, uh, let's pop in Swing Kids or Newsies or, you know, Singing in the Rain or these th- movies that I love. Let's start thinking about the behind the camera kind of stuff. Who's directing? What are they doing? How are they choosing their shots? What's the framing like? You know, what's the cinema to like starting to think deeper about movies in this movie in a meta way is talking about all of that stuff. Um, And I really, really enjoy it. So, yeah, the player is my number 
Five. I haven't I haven't seen it in 16 years. Okay. Um, so yeah, I my my life and outlook has uh, changed dramatically. I watched it I uh, during the pandemic. 20. I rewatched it. So um, so yeah, yeah. It's it's one I think to check out. Uh, Andrew, what do you got at number five? It's going to get trumped. I think, kind of like last week, all of mine are going to get trumped. So. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, I'll trump that. I'll go yeah. ahead and trump that. Uh, John, what do you got at number five? Uh, That's where I had Thor Ragnarok. Hmm, I had the hmm. honorable mentions. So. Yes, it was um, my first this, honorable mention, actually. This is, yeah. I think, one of the funniest movies in the MCU. No thanks to, uh, or all thanks to Taika Waititi. And yeah. uh, Jeff is doing his thing. He's Jeff Goldblum in every movie. He does not really have a second gear. Um, but <laughs> it fits here as like a weird, eccentric sort of bisexual space alien like that's Jeff Goldblum all right mm-hmm. uh it totally it's my fits birthday. he's he's super charming uh, and i think he slots into this bizarre like you know thor universe so well and mm-hmm. uh, yeah he's a highlight in this picture for sure i agree um i think thor Rag- thor ragnarok is the the right mcu movie kind of to go with with jeff goldblum even though i yeah. think he makes appearance in a, in a couple others just because he's he's crucial to this movie in a way um do we uh, i don't remember the rules not that i broke them this week but cameos <laughs> we exclude from a best ever no we do not right? no no if they're really yeah if they're in a movie it, it counts um so yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's best ever movie they're in, not best ever performance. This is the or... intent. This is the intent. Everybody yeah. gets to play it how they want it. There, are, we have guests who are very adamantly like, "No, I'm doing Jeff Goldblum movies. I don't want to put you yeah. know something he's in a cameo in in my list." And we're like, "That's cool. You do you." But the intent is, if their face or voice shows up in a movie, it counts, and we're ranking their movies. Yep. So. You do what you you do what you want. I'll do what I want. That's right. That's right. I, listen, it count. It will it, cameos will count in there. Like if somebody's doing like a box yeah. office total of an actor or something like that, yeah. they're gonna get those movies. Like they they are in the movie, you know. So yeah. Anyway, that's air number four. Oh yeah, let's move on to our number fours. Uh, might get trumped. I have Independence Day at number four. Trump. All Trump. right, both of you will trump that. So Andrew, what do you got at your number four? The Prince of Egypt. I will trump that. So See, I knew it. I knew it. I knew this week everything is a sin. John, what do you got at number four? The Fly. Ooh, definitely very good, in very my good. honorable mentions. Barely, barely missed my list. Yeah. Uh, when I, I first saw this, I was probably around the same time I saw the player. I was like probably 19 or 20, and I hated it. I thought it was such a weird movie. It was mm-hmm. super gross. Cronenberg, uh, not my scene. I revisited it a couple years later, and my rating went from a four to a nine. And I think that's one of the only times I have I have flopped so dramatically on a film on a rewatch because I think I just got it. I understood what they were doing, and uh, when you kind of buy into those themes, irrespective of like the super gross, cre- and, and to be fair, if you like good creature work and animatronics, it is phenomenal. But it is also yeah. very disgusting. And if you can get past that, the actual the themes uh, in this movie. Uh, are just uh, brilliant, and they're, they're so well realized. And that climax is just like it hits you like a ton of bricks. If if you are invested in these characters, it is a really emotional, yeah. like depressing kind of traumatic ending. Uh, and he's just uh, 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 what's his name, uh, Grum? Blum, I forget the guy, character's name, but he's a very compelling character. This scientist that kind of gets consumed by his own hubris, literally. Um, but you kind of feel for him the whole way, and I think that makes it a really really great film no matter which version you watch there's an old one i think with um 
Vincent Price, that's also uh, rather excellent. A little uh, conversational kismet. Um, the director of RRR uh, also made a movie called The Fly um, uh, about a man who, a murdered man reborn as a housefly and seeking revenge uh, for that his sounds, death. That sounds great. I love so, high concept stuff. That sounds yeah. great. And he seeks revenge as, as a housefly. As a housefly, yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> oh, yeah really interesting stuff. So, there you do, you, go. do you guys, uh, where do you fall on, on Cronenberg? Do you, do you like his stuff? Or I don't it, like body horror. Yeah, body horror is not my thing. It's, like, yeah, it's Scanners, Videodrome. They, they're all like, there's some really gross stuff I've heard in some there. good things <clears throat> about the new one. I just haven't gone to see yeah. it. Yeah, Crimes, so. uh, Crimes of the Future. Yeah, yeah. that just came out to yeah. limited uh, screenings. That's not to say that I don't understand and acknowledge that he is a visual master it's just that his style of film is kind of like you know people who don't like quentin tarantino i'm sure like yeah i get that he's an amazing director it's just that the over indulgence of violence and stuff it's definitely uh, like an accessibility thing and i I know the fly is not the type of movie a lot of people are going to enjoy yeah uh all right on to our number threes yep uh, this is where I have the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, Same. Uh, Me as well. Oh, nice. So, uh, John and I have Grand... Should it be Grand Budapest Hotel? Uh, <laughs> at number three. And, uh, Andrew, you had it at number five. Is that correct? That is so correct. Yeah, this is, this is uh, a really <coughs> good movie and really fun. And I... It's it's like a tale of two careers for me with Wes Anderson. Like you know, it, it, there was just a, a point that happened where I was like, all of a sudden, I love every movie he makes. But before that, I'm like, eh, this is not that interesting to me. <laughs> I, I'm yeah, completely agree. I had a very similar um, kind of experience with Wes Anderson. Uh, I kind of watched a lot of his movies out of sequence. I think mm-hmm. Grand Budapest was only like the second or third of his I watched before I had seen Life Aquatic, Moonrise Kingdom, or Rushmore. I saw mm-hmm. Grand Budapest. Uh, but I, this, for my money, probably his best film. It's just a very, I think, a more clear thematic concept going on here. And because it all kind of takes place around the same location with this big ensemble, it feels a little more focused than, uh, like, French Dispatch, for example, is just like a, a smattering of, like, eight different plots. And they're all fun, but they don't really connect until, mm-hmm. they don't really connect at all, actually. Uh, but, yeah, Grand Budapest is just visually vibrant. The performances are just eclectic and fun and sarcastic and... I love everything that's happening here. It's such a fun little world to be in for a couple hours. How can you say the French Dispatch doesn't connect? It's all connected. It's, it's I mean, about it con- a paper. It, con- it's, it's it connects in the in the in like the over in like the same <laughs> way that like Tommy Westfall connects different universes. Like it's not really. No, yeah. French no, Dispatch felt more like a uh, oh, what's his name? He didn't like a Snatch and a, oh. Um, uh, Guy, Ritchie. Guy Ritchie, Guy Ritchie. It yeah, felt yeah. kind of like a Guy Ritchie, you know, where you have this spider webs. Yeah, right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Uh, so I think that means, Andrew, we're looking for your number three to get trumped. Yeah. It'll get Trump <laughs> probably Independence Day. Trump. Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, John. There you go. John will trump cool. that. Uh, all right. On to our number twos. This is where I have the Prince of Egypt at number two. Um, Wait, no. We got to talk praise. about John's number three, right? His number three no, that was, was Grand that Budapest. Was Budapest. So. Oh, you shared it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, how fun is that? Um, I have recently rewatched The Prince of Egypt, and every time I watch it, it goes up in my estimation. What an incredible film. Um, The really the only thing I have against it is at this point is a a kind of a 
a part of its time, which is the casting. You know, it's it's a very white cast for a uh, Mesopotamian story. Um, but but yeah, it is incredibly well done. The themes are beautiful, perfect. Um, I buy it all. The music is some of the best music animated films have ever produced. Let um, my people go is one of the best song ever deliver us yeah is is astonishing deliver us too yeah yeah um so there's there's just so much great going on here i love this movie prince of egypt comes in at number two for me uh andrew you had it at four number four so yeah uh, what would have just made my uh honorable mention it's probably like nice. six or seven on my list yeah. nice. like aaron i just recently rewatched this within the past like two months and uh yeah the plague scene is like one of my favorite scenes in any part of animation and then of course whenever the angel of death comes down it's yeah it's haunting yeah yep and Aaron, uh, you say you say it's a it's a sign of the times and you know having like white actors and stuff mm, yeah don't forget uh ridley scott not too long ago did uh, exodus gods and kings which no, is the I exact know. same story I know. with christian bale and joel <laughs> I know. edgerton i know and sigourney <laughs> weaver <laughs> I know. Uh, I what I meant to say was uh, during we that time. We should be improving as a society. Correct. But yes. Not. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I think that puts us at your number two, John. Is that right? Or correct? Uh, and this is where I have Independence Day, which Ooh. remains a annual <clears throat> perennial favorite of mine. I cannot not watch it every July Fourth. Uh, there's. The, I mean, it's undeniably uh, way too jingoistic and patriotic. Um, it is just hoorah, go America. But there's something about the, that, that thing we mentioned with the dominoes. Like that first July 2nd, you just stack up all the dominoes, and then July 3rd, you knock them down. And then July 4th, it's like the comeback. And that three-act structure, all these characters, they all work. There's so much memorable dialogue. Everything out of Will Smith's mouth is like a fantastic one-liner that we still remember today. Mm-hmm. Welcome uh, to Earth. I, I just I – love, I love Independence Day. Like I have no shame – Admitting this is like one of my top ten favorite movies, even though it is just like really shallow blockbuster fluff from the mid nineties, and that's yeah. kind of my scene. We all had it, right? <laughs> I had it at number four. Uh, you had it at number three, Andrew, and you had it at number two. Uh, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not way off base. I definitely love it more than most people, but I think we all agree it's a pretty excellent. no, it's. It's, it's the quintessential block summer yeah. blockbuster. Yeah, it kind of it kind of reinvented summer blockbusters as disaster, um, you know, high high cast disaster films, which isn't new. It's not like those hadn't been done before, but it, it reinvented the summer blockbuster as that. Um, yeah, in some ways. So, and I and I will maintain the tagline: "Don't make plans for August." One of the best ever. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that tagline. Yeah, it's right on the that's poster. Great. That's great. Uh, all right. So that is number number two. Your number two, Andrew. What do you got? The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I know nobody's going to trump this one. No, no, I'm not a big fan. This is my favorite uh, Wes Anderson movie. Nice. Um, I I watched all of uh, his movies like in order, like as they came out. I went and saw them, Mm -hmm. and uh, I thought that out of all of his movies, and he's kind of gotten away from this. Like he still has a dry sense of humor to his movies, you know, but there's also like a giddiness to his newer films that like wasn't Mm -hmm. present in his earlier ones. Yes. Um, that I think the dryness and the, uh, the, the deadpanness style of comedy that life aquatic had is just Mm -hmm. so fun. 
I have such a good time. Like, I mean, Bill Murray helps there. He's sort of the king of sardonic humor, right? That's exactly he, he do, what he I does. Was that dry wit. Yeah, yeah. And there's a well there's this you know this animosity between him and Jeff Goldblum that uh is just like their rival uh, uh nautical explorers. And what a weird thing to compete with somebody with, you know. And, <laughs> and there's a there's a whole revenge arc to this that is just so ridiculous like he's yes he's a uh you know an aquatic explorer but his friend got killed by a shark uh, a a one-of-a-kind species of shark and instead of you know like doing the normal thing of like uh being a an aquatic explorer oh let's go discover the shark he's like no it killed my friend i'm gonna get get a bunch of dynamite and blow it up (laughs) like who who thinks of something like this the answer is Wes Anderson, of course. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> that is who. And the music is great, too. Every single uh, bit of music is a... Uh, I gotta look up his name. Uh, Sue Yorge. Uh, he's a French uh, musician. He does French acoustic reworks of David Bowie's music. And that's all the soundtrack to this movie is. That's right. Is It's just French acoustic David Bowie. And it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Nice. Uh, that is Life Aquatic, uh, and that is your number two. So I think Ter- it's just our number ones. Um, I feel like we might all be in unison again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was the number one earlier. I mean, there's uh, no reason it shouldn't be again. Yeah, I have Jurassic Park at number one. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that is that is the number one. Um, and define my childhood. It's a great movie. Yeah, no, this, this movie is um, it's perfect. <laughs> it kind of is. It's kind of. It's, yeah. it's when 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 I when I think of like the movie experience, it, it's it's this and like four other things. Uh, it's just such a quintessentially cinematic experience. That I think everyone. It's a rite of passage for an American child to watch this movie, get scared out of their mind, and then become obsessed with dinosaurs. But it's hard. It, yes. is, it is just. It's so good. It's hard to overstate. How world changing it was in ninety three? Was it ninety three? Ninety three. And I didn't see it in theaters. I, I didn't see it until it came out on tape like a year later. How mm, world changing it was in ninety three to go in a movie theater and go, Oh, dinosaurs are real like, you know, like yeah. like the Stan Winston won the Oscar for a reason. He did some stuff here that still looks better than movies today. The uh Absolutely. thirty years ago. And, and the result then is there is this extra level of connection to the characters in the movie because you're experiencing the same thing they are. They are going back to this amuse- this you know soon to be amusement park and having this experience of oh my goodness, dinosaurs are real, and the audience is having the exact same experience in the theater. Like, you know, that, that Spielberg is taking this us to an amusement park and showing us that, you know, dinosaurs are real. So, um, yeah, I just I'm it, it's it's hard to overstate the impact that had in 93. And now once even past, you know, 20, year, um, 20, 30, right, 30, 30 years later, it is wow. one of those things where you could you could watch it now <laughs> And it's just still a great movie, even after all the special effects you've seen over the last thirty years and the things that are happening. It's just, it's oh, still, it's still captivating and and amazing. So I don't know that and they I, completely like. There, there are still some shots in, especially in four K, where you're like, oh, I can see that's older CG, you know, happening here in this scene yeah. or whatever. But, 
But the story is so good. The structure is so good. The plotting is so good. The tension is so good. It's just, it's, you know. It's and just the characters are iconic. Every one mm-hmm. of them is, yeah. you know. I, I think generally the, the legacy of a, a film, especially one like this, can can pretty well be plotted by how well pe- we remember character names versus actor names. Mm-hmm. And I think like Dr. Alan Grant is like, oh yeah, I know that movie. I know what movie you're talking about. Yeah, who's same name? <laughs> yeah, whereas like a minute ago, I couldn't even remember the name of whoever Jeff Goldblum played in The Flies. Like, it's just Jeff Goldblum <laughs> in The Fly. I don't remember the character name. Uh, but like, this is the type of movie where you do kind of remember those details. And one thing we haven't mentioned somehow in in, in the Sifts or uh, Sifts sort earlier or now uh, is the music. And for my money, despite his incredibly illustrious and successful career, the best stuff John Williams has ever done is Welcome to Jurassic Park. That theme is every time goosebumps. It is so so good. Duel of yeah. the Fates would like to to have a conversation, but that's up uh, there. That's up there. I mean, the original <laughs> Star Wars album, uh, Superman, ET. He's done so many good soundtracks. It's but this incredible. is still my fa- this is still my favorite. What an ear! And, and what's funny is he didn't even get nominated that year for Jurassic Park because wow. Schindler's List did and won instead. That's wild. Yeah, that's wild. It, it, yeah. There's few movies that I can say defined me as a person, like Star Wars. Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. uh, James Bond to an extent. Jurassic Park was one of the very first movies, like early in my life, that defined me as a person. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Jurassic Park, uh, Park a unanimous number one uh, best ever Jeff Goldblum movie. Uh, honorable mentions. Who would like to go first with some throwing out some others? I have. How many honorable mentions do I have? I have five. Yeah, me too. So, okay. Uh, well, actually, no, I take that back. I have three because you guys mentioned a couple of them. <laughs> uh, I'll just throw them out real quick then. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I had that one as well. Yeah. That movie holds up. It, it really does. does. It actually really does. I saw it for the first time in the last couple of years. Um, oh, so, really? Yeah. Yep. What'd you think of the ending with uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Donald Sutherland? You know, just... <laughs> It's still creepy. It's it still, still creepy. creepy. Every it single is. time. It is. Every single time. Yeah. Uh, Isle of Dogs. Speaking uh, of Wes Anderson. Also in my lot, honorable just, mentions. How about just Wes Anderson? <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is a category. <laughs> yeah. There is a movie that came out a couple years ago that nobody besides me liked called Hotel Artemis. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't even know what this is. Oh, you yeah, never okay. saw Hotel Artemis. Yeah. I've never heard of it. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm just going to read you uh, the cast list for this real quick. And you're going to be like, how did they get every single one of these people? Uh, So you have Jodie Foster, Dave Bautista, Sterling K. Brown. Obviously, you have Jeff Goldblum, Brian Tyree Henry, Zachary Quinto, Charlie Day. It's a huge cast. And what it's about is kind of like in uh, John John Wick, Wick, you have the, uh, the hotel... Where you know all the, the villains can right. yeah, the continental. This is a hotel technically, but it's really a hospital for the for the criminals. And basically, mm. it take place takes place in L.A. in the future, and like L.A. is being like overrun with overrun with a water shortage riots, like crazy riots are going on outside. So you have all the criminals in uh, L.A. trying to go to uh, the hotel for sanctuary. And uh, insanity ensues. I had a great, great time with this movie. Yes, it's it's nothing new. There's nothing special about it, but it's fun. I had a, a lot of fun with this movie. Yeah, I will definitely check it out. Uh, you liked it much more than I did, but uh, it has its See, moments. I'm the only one. 
I am the only one who really dug this movie. Uh, that leaves me with three others, uh, all older films. Uh, Annie Hall, I think, is worth mentioning. Um, the Right Stuff uh, is is a good one. Uh, in Nashville, uh, Altman's Nashville is also an I interesting film. I do not film, care so. for that. <laughs> Wait, he was in The Right Stuff? Uh, maybe maybe my... Uh, he is. Um, he is briefly. I think he's like one of the technicians or one of the guys. He's yeah. not an astronaut. He is, he is recruiter. That is yeah. his... He's in it though. Like he's oh, young. Yeah. No, you're 100 percent right. And if I would have thought about it, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, rest stuff would have. Here's, so here's good. another movie I don't remember who he played, but uh, Charles Bronson's original Death Wish. Uh, I think it's a really solid uh, action thriller. And Wait, what? I think I think Jeff might play one of the bad one of the goons that like jumps him at one point. Mm. This is 1974. Jeff Goldblum would have been very young in his career. Um, but yeah, Death Wish is a great film. Oh God, yeah, I loved it. If you like, if you like uh, seedy, dark New York crime thrillers. Uh, okay, so there you go, best ever Jeff Goldblum movies. I think we can finish up with some buried treasure, guys. Uh, what's Death that? Wish was his very first film. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Freak number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 he's definitely just like a hoodlum. He's not. He doesn't really. Mom, have a Dad, I got a role. It's a movie called Death Wish, and I'm Freak number one. Uh, Charles Bronson. Yeah, but it's Charles me. Bronson's in it. You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's go on to Buried Treasure. What's that one thing in any area of pop culture you want to make sure people know about? Uh, John, you're our guest, so you will go last. Uh, Andrew, why don't you kick us off? I have found probably one of the most fitting Buried Treasures for this week. Oh, nice. New miniseries on Apple TV Plus called Prehistoric Planet. Okay. It's already uh, on my watch list. I've heard good things. Oh, so good. Tell us it's, about it. I haven't seen it. It's David Attenborough. He's doing his normal, you know, planet <laughs> stuff. And what fits is David Attenborough is the brother of, you know, John Attenborough, uh, who was, you know, uh, Hammond. John Hammond. He yeah. was Hammond in the Jurassic Park movies. It's his brother. Uh, but no, this the, the, uh, the CGI in this is astounding. And it's something I've wanted for a very long time to see done right. There's there's been plenty of you know attempts to do like a, uh, I guess you could say like a prehistoric you know National Geographic kind of thing. There's been uh, a, a first life. There's been a couple others that just they didn't work. I don't know what magic they didn't have that this one does. Maybe it's the simple fact that. Uh, it made it feel... Yeah, Richard, thank you. I don't know why I said Jonathan Attenborough. Because his name was John Hammond. That's why. It's, yeah, in the <laughs> I understood. Yeah. But yeah, Richard Attenborough. Thank you, Lollipop Shoes. Uh, I think the reason why this one works and the others didn't is because this one makes it seem like it takes place in real time. Like it's saying, like, the T-Rex is, as opposed to the T-Rex was. Or, you know, like, the Quetzalcoatl is is the largest flying, or as opposed to, you know, Quetzalcoatl was. So it makes this feel like a real world that is being lived in right now. And I don't think the other, like, the other ones I'm talking about had uh, David, like, doing the uh, narration and stuff, but there's something magical and uh, something about his voice that just... Oh, yeah, it's it's definitely like a, a mood setter. Yeah, and I exactly. think to it's the point of ASMR the visuals, almost, kind of. having not actually seen this yet, I think to the point of the visuals... With the exception of big budget films that Spielberg was directing, 
you know, documentary type projects like this did not have the budget to achieve that photorealism until very recently. Like there have been documentaries like this before on Nat Geo where they'll show you how dinosaurs live, but they always looked like cutscenes from PlayStation 2 or something. Like it's never, and it's like, I just, I just want to see, yeah, like a full nature doc in the style of uh, planet Earth, but about dinosaurs. And that's what this is. It sounds uh, so cool. I can't wait to check it out. Yeah. Uh, On Apple TV Plus, you can watch it in 4K, and it's stunning. Like, some of the graphics and stuff that we saw here in Jurassic World Dominion, like some of the high-level graphics, you'll see stuff that uh, competes with that. Oh, all right. It's really, really good. Uh, Prehistoric Planet on Apple TV Plus. Uh, Mine is much lamer and lighter and fluffier. Uh, I love the Netflix reality TV show The Circle in season four has recently come out. It was uh, so work- good. <laughs> Did you watch The Circle too? I love I love The Circle. I think it's so What's much fun. What's The Circle? I don't know anything about oh, it. So, Aaron, do your circle pitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, The Circle season four uh, is on uh, Netflix, and it is a show where... Basically, it's like much reality TV where you're trying to survive to the end and win the show, get the votes of your peers, you know, that kind of thing, except for nobody ever meets anybody else until they've already voted for the winner. So the whole show happens in separate rooms in a circle house where they only communicate through social media. So they only communicate through chats um through those so they never see each other hear each other's voice it's all text-based so they're all texting each other getting to know each other that kind of stuff don't have to go in as yourself and you do not have to be yourself you can catfish so you could come into the circle as a different person and then that person could win the circle um but so it's it's really interesting human psychology all that I was kind of say, stuff. This, this sounds like a tremendous experiment in human nature. And, it really is. It's also produced really well. I mean, it's it's again, it's light, fluffy, it's fun. Um, the host is great. Uh, the it's a very snide, sarcastic kind of narration type hosting because obviously the host isn't in the room with Bateau, them. Michelle Bateau, I think, is her name, or Batua. Batua. I, I I'm sorry. Yeah. No. 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 That's fine. Yeah. I think you're right. Um. But. But I will I know say, her name's Michelle. <laughs> I will say they also do really fun and interesting twists. For instance, uh, one of the first seasons, somebody uh, came in and um, catfished as somebody that they knew. Well, then in one of the later seasons, that actual person came in and catfished as somebody else. So, yeah. like people who know the show and have watched the show. Um, are kind of doing that thing. One was not just a person. It was uh, a mom and son were a person um, and catfishing as a different person. Uh, this season, the Spice Girls, two of the Spice Girls actually come into the Circle House and catfish as another person and yeah. try not to get found out. It's it's just it's really fascinating, interesting stuff. One of my favorite parts is the finale where they the final four or five who are in the finale actually oh, they, meet each other they dress and they, up and they have a dinner yeah they have a dinner together and they bring them into the room one at a time and it's always my favorite thing when a catfish comes in and they're just like you're michelle like yeah. you know like it's just it's just really interesting fun um stuff so yeah uh the circle season four on netflix and how um, happy were you this with this year's winner this year's winner was great just yes. absolutely great um yeah. i 
I really loved this season. Um, I, I loved a lot of the characters on the seasonal. I should say contestants, um, although certainly they are playing characters, sometimes literally playing characters. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so anyhow, that's my uh, that's my buried uh, treasure is the circle. Yeah, it. it uh, this is probably my favorite season too of the four. And I will also say, just for those who are watching the live show, that is uh, not the, I believe that might be the British circle. That is definitely not the cast from season four uh, from the American circle. Um, it's actually I interesting don't, I don't know any of those people. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because uh, uh, the circle, while it has like a mainly American cast, is not filmed in America. It's no, filmed no it's, in film, it's filmed in England. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff is filmed in England right now, by the way. Um, it's kind of this interesting uh, game show thing going on where just the tax wise and different things is much easier to, to bring people over to England to film uh, than to try to do it in America. Uh, yes, the actual Spice Girls, two of them, uh, Baby and Scary, uh, Baby Spice and Scary Spice uh, yeah. were in the house. So, yeah. Nice. There you go. That is the circle season four. Well, you're, you're a bit of, you're a bit of a reality TV buff, so that, I is, am. A, that is a strong recommendation from you if I you am. liked it. And uh, even I, who am not a fan of uh, reality TV, will champion the show and saying it's a lot of fun. It is a lot yeah. of fun. It's one of the On few Netflix. things. It's one of the few things Netflix doesn't drop all at once. Too, um, they do drop several chunks of the season, but they yeah. they um, they don't drop the whole season at once. Um, yeah, John, what do you got? What's your buried treasure? My buried treasure this week alluded to very early on in the show um, yes. is one of the Jurassic, or I guess both, of the Jurassic World short film interstitial movies that came out between Fallen Kingdom in 2018 and Jurassic World Dominion earlier this week. Um, one of them is a prologue to World, and you see some of that footage in the cold open newsreel of Dominion, which is pretty cool. You get more context as to what life on Earth looks like with dinosaurs. But the other short I want to shout out is called Battle at Big Rock. And this is a, a nice little, like, eight-minute story of this family that are camping in the woods. They're hanging around this fire pit, having s'mores. And, like, what waltzes through their campsite but a big old scary carnivore. And it's just, it, And I, and I kind of just love seeing, like, the other side of the coin. Like, instead of hanging out with our heroes and Alan Grant and Owen Grady, like, what is life like for the regular people that inhabit Earth with dinosaurs? This is the kind of stuff I wish we got more of in the movies proper. Mm. But we get this nice little eight-minute short that has a nice budget. It's directed by Colin Trevorrow. The effects yeah. look fantastic. And it's that, like, really tense, like, okay, you're with your family and your kids in, like, a tiny little camping trailer. And this, you know, uh, giant 30-foot dinosaur is chomping through your aluminum house and is going to eat everything you own and then your kids and you. Uh, so, it's yeah, it's a tense, nice little... Uh, Eight minutes short, and it's within the universe and continuity of Jurassic Park. So, I think it's a it's a fun little watch uh, before you go out and see Dominion this weekend. Yeah, and that is available on YouTube. Is yeah, you can just watch that on YouTube. It's free. I think that's the other big thing. It's like, why not? You're already yeah. on YouTube, probably. So just go. Check yeah, it. there's that one, and then there's the one that actually takes place like in prehistoric times. It's just a montage of cool dinosaurs. Oh, yeah, that's nice. that's part of the world, uh, the Dominion uh, prologue. It's called yeah. the prologue. It also involves the, the sequence where uh, T-Rex is at the drive-in theater, which was heavily in the trailers, mm. but not in the movie. Yeah. That kind of just got kicked out. Like, well, we're going to cut it out of the movie, but then release it on YouTube. So it's sort of a, a nice little short. Yeah. Uh, just because I can't uh, leave this podcast without just one more slam on Jurassic World Dominion. Um, how <laughs> dumb is the end of that movie? Um where it's like 
different combinations, <laughs> not to spoil everything, but where it's like, oh, and now this combination of this animal and this dinosaur, just they're just living together and, you know. Oh, uh, the, yeah, the harmony, the harmony element, like. I'm trying to remember specifically what harmonized element you didn't. Let's just say that there's horses running through the plane. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. several. There's like four or five shots yeah. in a row of ridiculous combinations of. Yeah. Oh, yes. right. I remember now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah I by that point, well, I was kind of like, right, whale, it's done. And, you know, yeah, that and was the most ridiculous. The underwater one was so silly. He would eat the whale. And the whale would be eaten. That's Listen, yeah. yes. We've already established he can swallow buses whole. Like, <laughs> And by the his, way, the his, Mosasaur is like one eighth the size of the, how he is in the movie, which is of course, funny. of course, he is. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. It's Anyhow, not, that is uh, Battle at Big Rock on YouTube, Circle Season Four on Netflix, and Prehistoric Planet on Apple TV Plus. Uh, we did it, guys. We Woo! managed a podcast. Didn't have to mine any DNA from anywhere to do it. Uh, we made it happen. We had a very, we had a very dino focused show today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Well, thank you, buddy. Huge thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. And a big holla holla to John Paula for <laughs> hanging out with us today. Woo. Where do you want to uh, where do you want to send people to find your stuff? Uh, pop over to my Letterboxd. Um, if you wanted to hear more of my rants and complaints about Dominion, I, I wrote up 1,300 words yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I was, it was one of those things that's just so easy to write sometimes when you just have so many thoughts and the keyboard is just an extension mm-hmm. of your head. Uh, uh, check that out. I'm, I'm rating and reviewing stuff all the time on Letterboxd. And, uh, yeah, just had, just had a pretty good uh, rewatch with all those Jurassic movies, and uh, some hold up better than others. That is Letterboxd, uh, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D, no E at the end there, dot com slash John Paula. Uh, so also big thank you to our Sif Pop members. Uh, support starts at $3 yes. a month. You get access to all the bonus episodes, ad-free podcasts, all sorts of fun stuff at the different levels. You can check that out, patreon.com slash Pop. Um, you can also connect with us in several different ways. Feel free to leave a comment, a rating, or a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do that too. Uh, feedback at siftpop.com. And finally, most importantly, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too. So make sure you pass it on to them and let them know that listening is much easier than participating in a lethal piggyback ride. Uh, we will be back <laughs> next week. With Lightyear, a little bit of Pixar on the schedule for this next week. So we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.